It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas, Valley family. I won't torture you any further, but uh, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, now it's, it's here, man. It is rolling up on us very, very quickly. And uh, we are kicking off uh, week number one of this series. going to carry us right through our Christmas services uh, on the 23rd and the 24th of December called Something for You. And, uh, you know, when it comes to Christmas, uh, it's, it's real easy to kind of... Uh, allowed December to get wrapped in all kinds of celebration and, and really expectations. And we get in the routine really, really quickly of, well, this is the same thing we do every single year. And, and one of the things, I think we can get into that routine even as a church, uh, one of the things that's always a challenge for me personally as a pastor is, you know, sharing the story of what Christmas is all about in a new and a fresh way. And, uh, that's what this series is all about. Pastor Stephen's going to be helping me in a couple weeks uh, in this series. Uh, just bring in some freshness, uh, maybe a, a better understanding even, uh, to what Christmas is really all about. And probably the most famous, most quoted, most Google-searched, actually, uh, verse in the whole entire Bible is John 3.16. And what you may not realize is it's a verse all about Christmas. And so we want to talk about something for you over the next few weeks leading right up and through our Christmas services. So if you have your Valley app, go ahead and open that up. You'll be able to follow along looking at a lot of verses of scripture uh, in this series as we prepare our hearts for Christmas. And starting off with John 3.16, again, probably the most quoted verse in all the Bible, uh, most memorized, Googled, and that's this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to drill down deep on this verse, and really these are the four messages that we have. Today we're going to be talking about the fact that God so loved. Next, next week we're going to be talking about he, that he loved the world, and what does that mean for you and for me? And then he gave his only begotten Son, and then our Christmas services, um, not July, it's in December, the 23rd and the 24th, we're going to be talking about the whosoever, because that's you, that's me, that's everyone in this world. And, and so uh, that's kind of an outline of where we're headed in this series. And, and the thing I love about John 3.16 is not only is it probably, again, the most quoted, well-known verse in all the Bible, but it is really much, much deeper, I think, than most of us even realize. Because what it talks about is what I want to look at today, and that's the motivation that God had. The why behind the what. The why behind the what. For God so loved. You know, what is motive? Motive really is the reason for doing something. Uh, it's the cause. It's the driving force. It's the engine behind everything that we do. And you know, like it or not, most every one of us, when we meet people in our minds, almost at a subconscious level, we find ourselves consciously or, or constantly uh, what does this person really want? What's really going on here? What's really their agenda? And our mind and our thinking is, what's motivating them? You know, are this motivation pure? What's in it for them? You know, always this motivation, because motivation determines the level of every relationship in your life and my life. It's when, when we, we, we start a friendship or whatever, it's what, what's motivating this person? What's the drive behind what they're doing. We constantly ask ourselves, what's the motive? 
maybe even, as I said, at a, at a very unconscious level. It kind of reminds me of the Christmas. A great example of this is the Christmas story, uh, one of my favorites, actually, uh, and that's Home Alone. Not Home Alone 28, but the original one, Home Alone. Uh, I think there are 28 different versions of it now, Home Alone, Son of Home Alone, you know, uh, the prequels, the sequels, and, and all that. But the original one, there was this one character uh, in Home Alone called Old Men Farley. You remember who that is? Let's put that up. And uh, Old Man Farley, remember this guy? Uh, Buzz is talking to Kevin. He's like, oh, that's Old Man Farley. And, and he's out here with this garbage can, and he's salting the sidewalk. And Buzz tells him, you know who that is? That's Old Man Marley. He actually uh, killed his whole family with a shovel and, and then disposed of the body by, by, with salt. And, and so, you know, they're like scared to death of this old creepy man. Because he's old, they... they put motive to him that like his motivation isn't right you know we should be afraid of him he's scared and uh and buzz tells him this and and uh turns out he's really just a kind-hearted old man uh, who's been hurt by the dysfunction in his family that's really who old man marley is and and kevin actually has a, a moment with old man marley if we put up that next picture here uh when when they're in the church uh and and he comes to see his grand, grandchild who's actually singing in the choir practice because he can't be there with the family because of this great family conflict and the dysfunction of the family. And, and Kevin tells him it's good that he's in church and he ought to reach out to his family and that forgiveness and restoration is available. This is a very tender moment, actually, in a very brutal and violent Christmas movie. Uh, and and uh, you really begin to see who old man Marley really is in this seen right here in the church between him and between Kevin. And old man Marley takes his advice, the advice of this young boy, Kevin, and Kevin goes on to whip up on uh, Marv and Harry. And in the end, old man Marley actually uses his shovel on the backs of, of Marv and Harry, the, the thieves trying to get in, and brings his whole family over to Kevin's house for Christmas dinner. And, and so the motive was misread of what old man Marley was all about. And I think although we always ask ourselves, what's the motive of this person? What's, what's behind this? A lot of times we get it wrong. And not only did uh, Kevin and Buzz get it wrong about the motive of old man Marley, but the reality is you and I get it wrong a lot of times with the motive of God and what Christmas really is all about. And so I think it's two big questions that we ask ourselves as we start off this series, as we we begin to focus in on what Christmas is really all about. And the first is this, what's God's motive? What what was God's motive? Why did he do this? Why did he send his son, not as a conquering king, he could have just like that, you know, fully grown, stepped from uh, heaven into the world. Why did he send him as a, a baby, a baby who's fragile, dependent upon teenage parents? Well, why choosing Mary? Most scholars believe she's probably 12, maybe 13 at the most, to, to give birth to the Son of God, virgin birth. Joseph, who would adopt him, Jesus as his son, and raise him as his own son. Why, why all that? What was the motive? Well, back to John three sixteen, it tells us what God's motive was. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. A little bit of background and context to this, because you've heard this a lot, but you may not remember what the, what, what, Jesus is the one who said this. He said this about himself. Jesus said about himself, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He's having a conversation with Nicodemus, uh, and, and some of you may know the story about uh, uh, Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus is actually a rabbi. Uh, he, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, he's, that's the ruling rabbinical group uh, in the town. And uh, Jesus is telling him what God's motivation is all about. And, and really God's motive, real clearly from here, God's motive is love. That's what motivated God to send Jesus Christ. It wasn't judgment. It wasn't condemnation. In fact, John 3.17 says, the next verse, Jesus says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We're going to talk about that next week. Really, really important. Hope you make plans to be here. And so that's God's motivation. And these words that we looked at, John 3, 16, this is in the Gospel of John, the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Kind of interesting, just something to be aware of because it, it makes a difference when we read it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written first, in fact, probably several, many years before John was written. John was written uh, by the Apostle John, who was the youngest of all the 12 apostles, and and. Most scholars believe that John probably was aware of, maybe even read, the other gospel accounts. And even though he was there with Jesus and experienced it all, he probably read those three accounts. And John, based on those three accounts, is kind of filling in some of the cracks that were left out of the other three gospel accounts of Jesus' life and all that he did and his death and his resurrection. And so it's in John here that we find this conversation with Nicodemus where, where this rabbi is coming to Jesus under the cover of darkness because he doesn't want to be discovered because this is like really, really like a, a highly volatile group. Jesus is, you know, to the Sanhedrin, to the rabbi. They didn't like him at all, didn't want anything to do with him. So he's kind of like on the down low coming to Jesus and he's saying, you know, What's going on? What are you all about? What, do I, what is this whole salvation thing? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. And Jesus is just explaining the whole entire motive of God. That's where John 3.16 comes in. And, and so this gospel of John fills in kind of some of the blanks. That's why I always encourage people, if you're not real familiar with the Bible, start reading in the gospel of John because it just gets right to the action. Right to the action where the other three kind of go really slow and methodical between, you know, before Jesus is born and, and all those details that we read a lot at Christmas. John just goes right to it. He's 30 and he's, Jesus is doing incredible ministry and saying incredible things. And it's pretty interesting. This is the same John that later on is one of the first of the disciples to make it to the empty tomb after Jesus' resurrection. In fact, let's look at it in John chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, and while it was still dark, and saw, this, uh, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And John goes on and he writes, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, watch this, the one who Jesus loved. John refers to himself, he doesn't say, and she came to me. 
He refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. How would you like to be Peter <laughs> or Bartholomew? John's like, I'm the one Jesus loved. Pretty interesting. Just hang on to this for just a minute. It says, she came to Simon Peter and the one that Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid them, laid him. And then they go on up ahead. So let's look at another example where John refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. John 21, 20 says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. There it is. John's saying, Jesus really loved me. Pretty cool that he drew his whole entire identity out of not what he did, what he said, what his job was, who his wife was, who his family was. I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm the one that Jesus loves, and it goes on and just explains there uh, that, that who John actually was there as, as, as Peter is looking at him and talking about him. So, so John found his true identity in what he understood the motive of Jesus was, and the motive of Jesus was love. Everything that he did was love. The motive of God sending his son, Jesus Christ, for you and me, why we celebrate at Christmas was love. For God so loved, so loved the world. And so I think it's really important for you and I, we've got to learn to see ourselves as the one who Jesus loves. We we need to see ourselves as the one whom Jesus loved because that completely will change your identity. You know, I've said it before, I think it's so important. We don't ever draw your identity from something or someone the world can take away from you. If, if, if I draw my identity as a husband, the world could take Susie away. My children, the world could take my kids away. My car, my house, even pastoring, the world can take all that stuff away. We need to draw our identities from Jesus. And I love that about John House. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's not really saying Jesus didn't love the others. He's just like, my whole identity is based on the motive of Jesus toward me. We need to learn to see ourselves that same way. You know what, when we see ourselves as the one that Jesus loves, uh, that's our truest self. That, that's the, the best version of you and I that we will ever be. When we begin to see ourselves, I'm one that Jesus loves, that he gave everything for. That's why he came. So when difficulties come in life, and they're going to come, storms come, we don't have to call into question the heart of our good Lord because we know, wait a minute, I know this is tough what I'm walking through, this is a challenge, but I'm one of the ones that Jesus loves. And so somehow, some way, I believe he'll work this for my very good. Just like Romans 8, 28 says, that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I, just, just do that right now. Whether you're in Poughkeepsie, at our Poughkeepsie campus, or maybe you're online and you're, you're viewing this in our online campus uh, with some friends or, or family members and kids around you, just turn to someone next to you right now and say, God loves me. Just go ahead and say that. God loves me. Now, 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 don't say it like someone's forcing you to. Say it like you believe it. God loves me. Go ahead. Let your ears hear your voice saying, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. And God loves you. 
It is so important because here's the thing, and we're going to drill down real deep on this next week. Next week when we talk about being world changers in the context of Christmas. See, worldly love is responding love, but God's love is originating love. Worldly love is responding love. God's love is the, or, the origin of love comes from God. For us as, as human beings, we love something or we love someone because they're lovely or they're lovable. Very, very rare do we love the unlovable. We love something that's disgusting or gross. We, we love because it's lovable or it's lovely. That's, that's the worldly kind of love. In other words, we're responding to, and there's some benefit to me personally by loving someone lovely or loving something lovable. But that's not God's love. God's love is originating love. In other words, God loves you, and there's nothing you can do to change that because he is love. We're going to talk about this in great detail next week because it affects how we treat every other person on the planet when we realize they're also someone that God loves. Whether they don't agree with us, whether they have different perspective or opinions or lifestyles, God loves them. And there's nothing that they can do to change that. There's nothing that you and I can do to change God's love for each and every one of us. Worldly love is responding love, responding to something lovely or someone lovable. But God's love, for God's soul of the world, is originating love. It starts with him. Not because we earn it, not because we deserve it, not because we'll ever be good enough, but because it's who he is. And so he loves you. And he loves me. That, that fact alone can change and transform every single human being on the planet when, when we really understand that and we get that into our heart. And so John went on, not only did he write uh, the Gospel of John, and oh, by the way, the same John who, who had the incredible visions of Jesus Christ and wrote the book of Revelation, but John also wrote three letters to Christians called the epistles, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And, and I want to look at this, this, this name, this statement, how he refers to uh, you and I, fellow followers of Jesus Christ, 10 times in, in those epistles that he wrote, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. By the way, if you want to impress like, like your spouse you know, or, or your kids, uh, I, I just encourage you, you know, these are really short books of the Bible, like 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. You, you know, uh, maybe over breakfast after devotion, say, hey, you, you know, did you do some reading today in the Bible? Yeah, and they'll say, well, what did you do? I read a chapter, and say, well, I read a whole book. Really? Next day, hey, uh, what'd you do? Oh, I read a couple paragraphs today. Well, I read another whole entire book of the Bible today. Three days in a row you can do that because if you read 1 John, it'll take you about three minutes. 2 John will take you about a minute and a half. And, and 3 John, it might take you maybe 45 seconds uh, to, to read through. They're, they're really, really tiny. And yet over and over, 10 times in these epistles, John uses this particular title or name to address fellow Christians. Let's look at it and see if you begin to get the point that John's trying to make. First John chapter 2, verse 7, he says, there it is, beloved. He calls you beloved. That means God loves you. You're, you're the one that God loves. 
Beloved, I'm writing, to you, I'm writing you uh, no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And he's saying, love one another. That's the whole thing. He calls beloved. He says, that's what your name is. He doesn't say Christian. He, he doesn't say follower of Jesus Christ, church member, church attender. He doesn't say that. He says, beloved, God loves you. You're loved by God. Then 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. That when Jesus returns, we're beloved. He loves you. He loves me just as much as he did John the Apostle, just as much as Peter, just as much as any other, the best of the best that you can think of or imagine in this world. God loves you just as much, not anything less. But we'll be like Jesus. We won't become gods, but we'll be perfected when we see him as he is when he returns for you and for me. And man, that just uh, gives me so much hope because I think I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be perfected in a and, and, and new uh, body, an eternal body, an incorruptible body. And I just believe in eternity I'm going to have like this full head of blonde hair like I once had again. You know, no more crow's feet and, and, and no more other stuff going on. And, and uh, you know, that come with age. We shall be like him. For we'll see him as he is. But he says, because you're beloved. Because God loves you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You, you see, you getting the point now? We've only looked at three of them. But we're going to look at the rest. He's saying, you're beloved. You're the one that God loves. You're the one that Jesus loves. The disciple Jesus, that's you. That's me. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So basically, I like to look at this as like John is coaching up followers of Jesus Christ, and he's saying, listen, you, you know, you're going to become like him when, when Jesus returns. Also, life on earth, beloved. He's addressing the team, and the team is beloved. That's you and me. We're on the team. And he says we need to test the spirits because not every spirit, you know, uh, we talked about this in the frequency message, uh, not every spirit uh, is from God. There are false prophets that have gone out into the world. But he says, beloved, he's addressing those whom God loves, you and me. Goes on in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. It originates, God's love originates. It's not responding to the fact that we're lovely or lovable Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, and knows God. In fact, he says, we can't say that we love God and we hate someone else. The love of God's not in us if we hate anyone. And so he says, let us love one another. In 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 11, uh, John continues to address the team. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's our response to God's love. And, and then in 3 John chapter 1, verse 1, it's, he actually addresses 3 John, and there's only one chapter, there's only a few verses, but it's still called 
verse one, uh, and it says, the elder to the beloved Gaius who loved uh, who I love in truth. So he's talking about an elder to the church, and he's like, you know, he's my man. He's, he's, he's my buddy. Man, we are so close. I just love this guy. He's awesome. And, and he, calls, he calls him beloved as well. So it's not that like God loves us, and this is why it's so important. It's not that God just loves us collectively like the mass of humanity. He also loves us individually. And, and so John applies this to his friend here, Gaius. And he says, he's also beloved. So individually even, not just a collective mass of, of uh, you know, faces out there. Personally, close. He knows everything about us and he loves us anyway. Then 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health and it goes well with your soul. He says, beloved, I just pray God just blesses every area of your life and and that he blesses your soul because you know what? When your soul is blessed, everything else is blessed. He's talking about soul health here. And he's talking to the team again, beloved. 3 John chapter 1, verse 5, he says, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. That that, that as a team, we're supposed to, we're going to get into it, Love those around us that are unlovable. When there's nothing that they can do to return, there's no return on that investment for us. They can't help us in any way. We're supposed to love. Then in 3 John chapter 1, verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So he says, beloved, ten times, between 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Beloved, 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 beloved. That's you. That's the team. God loves you. And there's nothing you can do about it. We need, we must see the world as loved as well. Not only do we have to see, it's so important that we see ourselves as God loves us. But it is critical, especially at Christmas time, that we see the world as loved as well, loved by God. We see the world around us, even the, the old man Marley's. Instead of, you know, no, God couldn't love a person like that. That we see the world as loved. And so that brings us to our second question and It's going to be real quick, actually, but I think it's an important one. What does love require? Because God loves you, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Unconditional love. You didn't earn it. You can't, you'll never deserve it. I never earned it, nor could I deserve it. It's who he is. It has everything to do with him and really nothing to do with me, but he offers that love. He loves you. And isn't it one of the worst things in the world? I mean, we just even think about it in human terms. When someone loves you and you reject their love. See, see many will reject the love of God. But it doesn't keep them, doesn't stop him from loving them. You can, you can accept God's love or you can reject God's love, but it doesn't diminish God's love for you. And it won't diminish God's love for me.
I don't know about you, but I want to love him. <laughs> I want to love him back. And so what is, what is God's love? What does he expect out of you and me? What does love require if that's his motivation? Well, again, let's, let's see what John has to say about it. The disciple who Jesus loved, and Jesus loves you and loves me as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 tells us what, what God expects out of you and I, you and me. It says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. God wants to drive out fear in your life and in my life. Every fear, every worry, every anxiety, when we really comprehend and accept how much he loves us. Perfect love drives out all fear. It casts out all fear. It reminds me of fishing, you know. It's, it's like hurl away. Uh, you put that bait on the hook and then you go, and you throw it away. You cast that away. Not to reel that, that fear and that worry and that anger in again. You cast it away and you let it go. There's no fear in love. Perfect love. That's God's kind of love. It's called agape love. We'll talk about that next week. It casts out all fear. It hurls it away. It throws it away. When we accept and we realize and we begin to just, just begin to comprehend how God loves you and how God loves me, there's no more fear. Because fear has to do with punishment and we don't have to fear being, being punished by God. God doesn't punish us. He loves us. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so what does love require? Cast out fear. Hurl it away. Throw it away. And it means also to step outside of our comfort zones and to engage other people and demonstrate God's love through our life, especially this time of year, at Christmas time. I love what 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says in the Bible. It says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, that's not from God, but of power and love and self-control. That's what our response is. That's what God requires. That's what he expects. And here's the thing, and he gives us the power to love that way. Love without fear, but love that is powerful, uh, the, uh, love that is tangible, and, and love that, that helps us also in self-control and, and to be able to, can I put it this way, like rightly govern ourselves by the power of his Holy Spirit. So as a church, Valley family, we're never gonna stop loving other people. You know why? Because Jesus never stops loving you and loving me, even when we mess up. We're committed to loving our community until our community looks like heaven. We're committed to loving our state until our state looks like heaven. And y'all know we got a long way to go. We're committed because Jesus never stops loving you and never stops loving me. We're committed to loving our country and loving our world 
until our world looks like heaven. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, that's what God wants. We got a long way to go, don't we? And we can't do it without the love of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to love our community, to love our state, to love our nation, and to love our world. That's why he came. For God so loved. That was what his whole motive was. And so, you know, in Poughkeepsie, you, you'll see every single one of those cup holders. We've got a, we've got a little card here about our Christmas services. I, I want to just encourage you. I want to challenge you. Understanding how God loves you. You're God's beloved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever it is, no matter what they've done, no matter what they didn't do that they should have done, no matter how dark, no matter how dirty, no matter how bad, no how heinous, whatever it was, that whosoever believes in him would not perish and have everlasting life. I, I want you to, these invite cards are not to remind you so much about our Christmas services, not so much inviting you, Valley family. This is for you to invite someone that doesn't know Jesus. This is to invite someone that, that you know. Maybe it's a old man Marley. <laughs> someone on your neighborhood, someone at work that you have some relationship with, not much, and say, listen, I want to invite you to come with me to one of these services at my church on December 23rd or December 24th. I want you to be a part. I want you to experience that. And let me know. Reserve a ticket. Reserve a seat. And, uh, and I'll go with you. I'll meet you. I'll pick you up if you want me to. And, and I'll sit with you. And you, you. You know, I'm just not inviting you and hope to see you there. You know, let's go together. What greater way can we show the love? And we're, we're doing a whole lot of planning and preparation. Make those two, those two days of services. We have five services. Last year we had over 1,300 people walk through the doors for our Christmas services. Almost 30 people received Christ as Lord and Savior for the first time. Understanding and experiencing God's love. So that's why we have these invites. We're going to put them on every seat, every service, between now and the 23rd. And we, we just want to see packed, not for our sake, but for his sake, it's one of the greatest ways that we can love our community by introducing them to the one that loves them unconditionally, the love of Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll make plans, obviously, to be here yourself, but don't come alone. Invite someone. Use this invite card to join you and reserve your seat one of our five services. Right now, what I want to do is pray because what I'm believing is starting today, on through the next few weeks, right up until Christmas, that we would have a greater understanding of the motive of God, that God so loved you and he so loved me. And when we understand that, it'll change how we begin to relate to and treat those around us. And it transform our hearts and it'll transform our lives. Would you bow your heads with me right now, Father? Lord, I just thank you for your word. Thank you that you loved us when we were completely unlovable. That there was nothing lovely about us, but your love initiated. Your love originated. That you are love. 
And nothing we can ever do diminishes your love that's unconditional for us. And God, I pray even in this Christmas season that we're in, Lord, that we would have every single one of us in the Valley family would have a greater sense of the magnitude of your love for us as a group, but also, Lord, as individuals. That we are beloved by you. And Lord, that reality would cause a transformation in our hearts and in our minds. And that we would, Lord, in response, Lord, we, we would hurl away fear as we receive your perfect love. And we would step out, Lord, in boldness and share your love with those around us and even invite them, Lord. And Father, we're just praying for a great, great response and harvest of hearts in our Christmas services this year as many, many people come and they hear the good news of how much you love them for the first time and they accept that love and you begin to transform their lives. And right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity if you've never done that before. In response to the message that you've heard today, maybe you thought God was angry with you. He was upset with you. And you didn't know that the Bible makes it clear He loves you. He loves you. I want to give you an opportunity just to accept the love of Jesus Christ today. The Bible says that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved and so right now, I would just like to lead you in a prayer that you can repeat after me. I'm not going to have you raise your hand or stand up, shout out, anything like that. Just you can do this in a whisper. This is between you and God this moment. And just repeat this prayer after me and open your heart to the love of God today and receive what Jesus Christ did for you through his sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection from the dead so that you could be forgiven and I could be forgiven of anything and everything we've ever done that comes short of God's perfect plan for our lives. And just repeat these words after me today. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I turn from them today. I receive Jesus Christ today as my Savior and Lord. Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And I ask you to lead me. I ask you to guide me. I ask you to direct me from this day forward by your Holy Spirit and I will follow you. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Amen.